The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. A trifecta of tech titans wrapping up the busiest earnings day of this season. Alphabet, Amazon, Intel, all on the move in the after-hour session. Those conference calls just getting underway, and we've got full team coverage. Josh Lifton just got off the phone with Alphabet CFO Ruth Porat. Deirdre Bosa standing by on Amazon, and John Ford is digging in on Intel+. Plus. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is at the ready to break down all the big headlines that come out of these calls. So let's get right to it. Alphabet soaring after the company beat on both the top and the bottom lines. Guy Dami, yes, what's your Mel. take on this big surprise? You know, Dan, I, and Karen were talking before the show. Tim gets here typically, you know, with about Minutes 40 seconds before. left. So yeah. I have, have an opportunity. No, I'm kidding Why around. Why do you have to out me like that? No, but one of the kidding, things we said, I mean, what we said, I said this quarter came out of nowhere, and Dan made fun of me, as he typically does. But, you know, the EPS beat is extraordinary. Beat on revenue, good for them. Stock buyback. Operating margins now 24%. And I said to Karen, and I don't know, you know, I may, you can make this argument. I don't know if it's true or not. Google Alphabet may be cheaper now with the move higher than it was yesterday. So to Karen's point that she said to me, it actually might make more sense to buy it today up 90 than it did yesterday at the levels it was. Karen. Right. I haven't gone through the math, so I don't know if it's cheaper today with this and what, how much one would adjust their earnings up. But I think what's happening here is Google was really in the penalty box after that very disappointing quarter that they reported last time and that they didn't seem to have either a great handle on it or they weren't. They were not able to convey confidence that, you know, this was a temporary thing and that we, they would reaccelerate growth. And so I think there's a bit of a re-rating back from out of the penalty box to now you're back in good standing. To me, this $25 billion share repurchase is fantastic. This balance sheet, it's almost like an albatross of cash, one of the biggest cash hoards in the world. So for them to $25 billion, that is a very significant move. Thank you for doing that as a shareholder. It's been very frustrating that you haven't. I think it's great. It doesn't say how long. It just says from time to time. But still, that's very good. It's very accretive. So there's a lot to love in the numbers. There's also we don't have clarity on some of the things yet, the calls now. But I, I really do think there's back out of the penalty box. So that's very good. So I, I would highlight what you're talking about on the buybacks. I would call this their Apple moment. Remember when Apple really went and made capital markets a lever that they were going to pull in terms of buybacks, debt issuance, bigger divs. Uh, we've been waiting for Ruth Porat, who comes from a, a more traditional CFO environment, has been uh, seen as you know someone who's brought a lot of transparency to, to Alphabet, and I think she, she has. 
Um, I, I think, as Karen pointed out, that second, you know, the, the last quarter where effectively we were hearing about uh, an FX headwind that was the reason for coming in light was complete garbage because FX is not a structural issue. FX is transitory. And frankly, we haven't had those FX headwinds. Right. So um, I do think this is an important moment for Google also to get the confidence from the capital markets as much as show that the core business is very much alive. Yeah, you guys are making it sound like that Google doesn't buy back stock. When Ruth Porat came in like five years ago, they announced a buyback. They've been buying back stock. This is obviously minimal. Okay, minimal, but I, given I their balance sheet, the stock minimal. actually rallied a lot back then because they kind of made this commitment to do that. And no, just that's say because they broke up. You could see you right. had more clarity. That right. was really important. Okay, so I, I would just I know say, you're saying it dismissively, but it's important. I, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm I know. Go ahead. That's all right. No, but, Karen, I'm on your um, side. All right. As far as the quarter, you know, so last quarter on a $30 billion revenue number, they missed by a billion. They said they did say some things like, oh, next quarter, OPEX is going to be less than expected, okay, or, or, or growing less than expected. That should be good for what this quarter showed is this EPS, right? Kind of beat here, and they also talked about FX headwinds. That's kind of what hit the stock last quarter. So now you have a billion dollar revenue beat, you have a good EPS beat. The stock coming into it was only up 9% um, on the year versus its MAGA complex. We know Apple and Amazon were each up 32% on the year. We know that uh, Microsoft was up 38% on the year. So this is the one that, like you said, has been in the doghouse. So if you could really look at Q1 and say that was a one quarter blip, blip now you're back in business. I mean, it, it's that simple. So now here we are, we're back to that level, it gapped down to 1,200. Back in late April, um, but don't forget, people. We know the DOJ. We know all this stuff is lurking out there. And so, to me, I just think that I'd be very surprised to see this thing back up at those prior highs at 1,300. Dan, just people, the people. By the yeah. way, it is the people, the people. Um, but people. to Dan's point, in terms of whether or not first quarter was a blip, I mean, Wall Street walked away really scratching their heads. They had no idea what was behind that revenue slowdown. Even in earnings previews for this quarter, they were writing, "We had no comfort around what caused that slowdown." So, you, do you write that off? One you, bad quarter, one them, really great quarter, and now we're on the right track? You give them a pass. I mean, I think the bull camp will say, you know what, valuation still makes sense. They still have a dominant position. Yes, this DOJ stuff is scary, but it's going to take some time. I think that if you're in the bull camp, you could say, you know, we'll give them a one-quarter pass. Other people will say this, they shouldn't be as lumpy, maybe, as they are. That could be the other side of the coin. And you have to say the last two quarters have been lumpy on the bad side, and this one is pretty lumpy on the good side. Uh, and simply, this is a company that uh, I think if you look at the relative value to the rest of the sector, Dan talked, I mean, up 10% since the last, actually down 13 since the last earnings period versus everybody right. else. This makes sense. All right, let's get more reaction to Alphabet's big quarter. Joining us now is Loop Ventures founder, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. Gene, great to see you again. I'm going, to pose Hi, a, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Do you completely dismiss the first quarter and what happened then because it was able to post such a, a great second quarter? I largely do, and the reason is that uh, Google has been the gold standard for revenue visibility and stability amongst large-cap tech over the last three years. The revenue growth on an FX-adjusted basis has been between 20 and 22 percent, effectively, during that period. I mean, unprecedented, and that dipped, as we've been talking about here in the uh, after the March quarter. And uh, so uh, the simple answer is the reason why I give them a pass from last quarter is that uh, their history would suggest that this is, in fact, a very reliable uh, uh, revenue growth story. And it comes back to this theme is that they are the oxygen and the Internet. They get us in a lot of different ways, whether it's search, YouTube or cloud. And so uh, simple answer is I give them a pass. Gene, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. So given this quarter, how do you think about valuation here? What's the multiple? 
I, I uh, think that this, agree with the, the logic that this is cheaper today, even with a move higher in the stock. I think that uh, this is a great company. I don't think, uh, I think th these results are most impressive and uh, support the valuation. The multiple should go higher. I think if you look at the broader multiple space, Apple is, is well under what I think it should be, but these uh, Google should be higher as well. I, I am also impressed by some of their uh, discipline around OpEx and uh, still growing paid clicks, even though it decelerated at 28% year over year. All of this suggests that the multiple should be, be higher. Unfortunately, we have uh, this issue around what's going on with the government regulation, and that, I think, uh, actually supersedes any of these positive fundamentals, at least over the next 6 to 12 months. Hey, so Gene, that's a good segue. You know, obviously Facebook investors earlier in the week were kind of excited about the fact that you could define that FTC fine, but that was really related to some privacy issues and then the stuff going forward are going to be really important. So really we haven't had any framework for Alphabet. And do you think that there's something coming in 2019 where we get some sort of guidelines about the sort of advertising that, that these political advertising that can be done as we go into 2020? Because we know that should be a big driver for all these platforms. Yeah, they'll get a bump from that, and uh, that's largely not reflected in the street numbers. And so, uh, you know, the call is going on right now. They don't give official guidance, but they uh, hint to where things should go. And so we'll get some insight about, uh, you know, how they think about maybe the political season a year from now. But uh, so that definitely is a positive. But again, I, I put this in the context of uh, there's a lot of unknowns around how they it, the reason uh, the reason why they can continue to go revenue so steady over the past three years is they have an incredible amount of control about how they monetize. They're working this lever between your user experience, the number of ads you want to show and what kind of revenue they want to get. It's an incredible model. And if the government tinkers with that, then uh, uh, that could have a profound impact on the growth. I'm not suggesting it's going to go down to, to 10 percent anytime soon. But uh, the simple point is, yes, the political season is a, a, an opportunity for right. them. But still, again, this overhang is bigger. Quickly, Gene, you're great for, for Alphabet's oh, quarter. Professor Monster. Uh, Professor Munster is A minus. Uh, I think nice. that everything uh, uh, really impressive uh, rebound here. And uh, the only my only negative was um, even though pay clicks were still impressive, I wish that would have been a little bit better. It was hard to find uh, anything negative. All right, Gene, great to speak with you. We will check in with you a little bit later on. Uh, as Alphabet shares Thank are higher you. by almost 9%. Let's get to Intel here. Two big headlines here. The stock is soaring after it reported a beat, and uh, Apple making it official, announcing it will, in fact, buy the majority of Intel's wireless chip unit for $1 billion. Dan, what do you make of this move? Listen, I, I think that we've had a lot of data just in the last week or so. Look at Texas Instruments that, you know, from an analog perspective, I mean, they're hitting on all cylinders. I know there was a lot of skepticism there. That stock broke out to a new all-time high. We saw what Taiwan Semi said last week. They said um, they called the bottom. Taiwan, uh, Texas Instruments did say that they're in the third quarter out of a five-quarter cycle where things are kind of bottoming. And when you think about a cyclical group like that, investors are going to start to buy the stocks before the cyclical bottom of the hit before you can actually call it. And that's why you're seeing this stock that's gone from the high 30s now into the mid 50s. I'll just make one point. The stock has actually faced a lot of resistance despite its relatively cheap valuation to many of its peers up at these levels. So I'm not sure it's a chase right here at 55, 56 bucks in the afternoon. Although, Dan, I, I think the sentiment going into this print was horrible Bad, in its name. And, and, and I think that they were painted as, first of all, you know, that Apple deal highlights that they've been terrible in new markets, right? They've, they've made disastrous acquisitions, they exited McAfee, wearables, you name 
agreement. And so um, I, I think people need to see them getting back to what they do. The, the 10, nanometer pro 10 nanometer processor is something that also I think is, is going to be at least a driver for these guys into the second half of the year. People are watching that. I think this similar to um, to Alphabet in that the sentiment going in was terrible. They were in the penalty box as well. They announced some pretty good things. They could have they could have kept it a little closer to the vest if they wanted to and weren't confident. And so I think they probably feel pretty good about the quarter. So maybe a little re-rating here also. Dan Should, brings. Oh, oh, I thought you were about to play Would You Rather. Oh, you no. had that Would You Rather face. I've seen <laughs> it before. So I, no, no, never I don't want to. Maybe I don't want to play. Never stopped you. Maybe I don't want to play. No maybe self Would You Rathering tonight, right. please. There's no self Would Too You Rather. Too much to do tonight. Too busy tonight. Anyway, okay. Intel, please. It's half the valuation of a Texas Instruments. I don't think it deserves to be half. I think Texans too expensive. I think Intel's too cheap. Yes, it's run a lot. And Dan has been bullish, by the yeah. way. I still think there's room. By the way, it's really encouraging to see operating margins now north of 30% at 31% much better than what they had, had guided and much better than what the street was looking for. All right, let's get to Amazon here. We want to round out our tech trifecta falling uh, after hours on an earnings miss. How should we think about this, Tim? Well, bottom line is people wanted to see, I think, more top-line growth. In other words, yeah. this was a case. It, 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 we're focused on profitability because this is a place where people, I think, have the easiest place to check. But I think if Google was going, sorry, if Amazon was going to excite people on this print, they were going to do better than 2% top-line growth. And, and that, to me, is the crux of it. People want to see growth. But look, AWS, which is what gives everybody the reason to almost tack whatever multiple, even though I think it's getting to be very commoditized out there, is what people also are pointing to. Yeah, growth was a concern going in. Yeah, I mean, listen, Amazon's one of those ones where they often guide, you could like literally drive a truck through their guidance, that sort of thing. So I think at this point, it really does come down to, you hear these people say this all the time, when they want to stop spending and they want to show the operating leverage, then the stock goes up on a print like that. So I don't think they're really particularly worried quarter to quarter on this sort of stuff. I think you want to keep a, um, an eye on AWS growth deceleration and you want to see market share gains at Microsoft and Google and some others where they're competing on price. That's been the longtime bear thesis on AWS for 10 years. It hasn't played out, but at some time in the near future, it's going to get a lot more competitive, I suspect. So AWS sales growth uh, decelerated 37 yeah. percent, and that's down from 42 percent in the first quarter, oh. so sequentially down, and 46 percent in the fourth quarter of 18 year on year. To Tim's point, I mean, the space, without question, the space is being commoditized. Doesn't mean there's still not growth opportunities, but it is being commoditized. Now, we talked about this. We played that game. Remember we played a new game the other night? We had the, the Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef. And oh, Eli good, bad, Wallach, and ugly. Good, bad, good, bad, bad, and ugly. ugly. Correct. Nice use of actors that were not named that night. Well, uh -huh. Eli Wallach, but how would you like to be cast as the ugly in the good, bad, the ugly? That would probably cool. be my role on this desk. Anyway. That said, <laughs> you know, we talked about Amazon. The setup in the earnings wasn't good. You know, it going from 1750 was pressing up against the all-time highs. There was a real good chance this happened, and we discussed it. Now you say to yourself, you have a major potential for a double top in the name. I think you got to sort of stay in the sidelines for the next couple of days, and we've been pretty steadfast in those beliefs. Yeah. Jim, Jim Kramer talks often right. about wait for the conference call. Here's sure. one, I think, to your point, you know, guidance that you could drive a truck through. We need a lot more color, a lot more sort of nuance, so wait for the call. I think it's 530. Yeah. Starts. And by the way, spending on the one-day shift was a little bit more than... That's right. I, I mean, listen, I think a lot of people expected that. That was, in, you know, initiated in the last four, four months or something like that. Here's the thing, okay? We're sitting here and we're talking about these little moves in massive trillion-dollar names. Literally, if you think about how Amazon's moving right now, at the end of the day, though, it's really important to remember that, you know, this stock sold off, what, 30% in Q4, like that? And, you know, people were wondering every day what, what, what was the thing. And up here, I think a lot of investors are being very complacent. If you're playing for a massive breakout of what Guy said could be a double top, mm -hmm. you're going to need something else 
to give it a bit more torque in all of these names torque. to get them up great going word. in a straight line. Well, that's just yeah, use more and more often. You know, I had a yeah. torque wrench in college. That's nice, guy. <laughs> uh, we're going to have much more on all these tech earnings coming up. But first, we've got to get to breaking news out of Washington. Elon Moy's got the story. Elon. Melissa, the House has now voted to approve a deal that would increase the debt ceiling through July 2021 and also raises the caps on federal spending by $320 billion over the next two years. The final vote tally was 284 in favor, 149 against. This bill now heads to the Senate where it will get a vote next week and the president has said he will sign it if it lands on his desk. Back over to you. All right, looks like it's a done deal at this point. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. Well, as always, great job by Elon. The fact that, that we had, there was any tension around this news, come on, no, no way. And, and in fact, that's a problem because these debt ceilings continue. They're not market events because they always get solved. Uh, the problem is if you look at the deficit and you look at where we are 10 years into an expansion, it is a problem at some point. All right. The earnings story continues here on Fast Money. It's not just big tech. Starbucks, MGM also on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the highlights. Plus, we are celebrating the busiest day of the earnings season with a good old-fashioned game of... Trade it or fade it. Oh, Find out if these four big movers belong in your portfolio. Stay with us. Much more fast right after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Wall Street wrapping up the busiest day of earnings season. One in 10 S&P 500 companies reported results today. So that got us in the mood. For a little game of. They jumped you, Mel. They jumped you. Oh, come on. They no, did they did. They, they, they threw I the graphics. I, I went quick. off script. All right. We're going <laughs> to start right. with American Airlines. Putting that aside, Guy. Karen, it was down more than 8% on quarterly results. Traded or faded? Traded. I don't know why it traded so poorly today, actually. I mean, you know, we did. Phil did a great piece. Um, with the CEO where he talked about, it was so focused on the 737 MAX. When will it be in service? When will it be in service? I think there is so much noise and so much cloudiness surrounding that that we can't see through to the 20 and 21 where they talk about good free cash flow. It's very cheap here. The demand is there. You know, I, I think it was, it actually traded much higher when it opened, 34 and change. Yeah. And so um, I like it. I'd be a buyer right here. Well, I, I agree. Look, it's the ugly ducking of the big three. I think it's probably the safest term we can use these days, unless ducks are going to come after me as well. So <laughs> right. I, I think the valuation is cheap for a reason relative. Delta is outperforming. I mean, their operational excellence is, is what I would highlight. So uh, this kind of a pullback for a range trade, I think, offers an opportunity. All right. Up next, Masco. Look at that rally today on an earnings beat. Trade it or fade it, Dan Nathan. Yeah, so I think you trade this one, and you probably use that breakout level just above 40 as a stop to the downside. I mean, I know that these guys, a lot of these guys have been all over some of these um, home builders, and so when you look at some of these suppliers, Mohawk is starting to act a lot better. Um, these are relatively cheap stocks, and they've actually been trading in a very constructive manner. You have results like that. You have that 8% gap higher to new highs. I think that prior high, I don't know where is it, guys? $46, I, January you know, 2018. What a I, 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 of course he knew it. I think you play 
for that. You play for new highs, but you stop it at 40 bucks. You're just mentioning what Stanley Black and Decker. Stanley Black and Decker and Sherwin Williams. You know this would be similar, and so and more similar in market. So you know I would think looking for Home Depot and Lowe's to also put up good numbers. All right, let's get to another semiconductor semiconductor name, Xilinx, backing down from record highs after revenue guidance missed estimates. So guy, trade it or fade it. Trade it, Mel. I gotta be I gotta be consistent. We've been trading this for a while. Now listen, the quarter was fine. The guidance was light, and the guidance was light, I think, because they took into consideration, you know, U.S. government's cracking down on one of the people that Xilinx sells products to. I think they're giving themselves, basically, as we say, a bit of a hall pass. We'll see if it comes to fruition. Again, the quarter was great. The concern here is valuation. But you know what? It didn't sell off nearly as much as it could have. That's why I would trade this sucker. All right. And let's get the 3M. Uh, shares falling today despite a beat on the top and the bottom line. So trade it or fade it, Tim? You fade it. Look, read through that noise. This is an expensive company. They're getting a one-time gain from divestiture. I, I, I don't, I, you know, this is not a, an exciting place to be. If you were oversold, that's one thing. But if anything, this number wasn't that great. And look what the stock did on what was a good number. Yeah. Nothing. All right. Coming up, Alphabet soaring on its results. What the company's CFO, Ruth Porat, just told her own Josh Lifton that every tech investor needs to hear. He will break down the headlines. Plus, Starbucks heating up in the after hours, hitting a fresh all-time high. That conference call is just getting underway. We'll tell you what the coffee giant is telling investors. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. We'll be right back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an earnings whip. Shares of Starbucks and MGM moving higher after reporting results. We've got full team coverage on both the names. Contessa Brewer standing by and MGM. But we start with Kate Rogers, who is all over that Starbucks conference call. Kate. Hey there, Melissa. Well, Starbucks out with a very strong Q3, beating on every metric here. Revenues also hitting a new all-time high. Comps rose by 6% globally, 7% in the U.S. That includes a 3% bump in traffic across all day parts, even in the afternoon, which is notoriously tough. Comps were also up 6% in China. On the call, CEO Kevin Johnson said the comps in the U.S. and China were thanks to similar initiatives underway. Take a listen. This strong performance was driven by three key factors an enhanced customer experience, relevant new beverage innovation, and accelerated expansion of digital customer relationships. The initiatives we are driving in the U.S. to simplify work, allocate labor to better meet customer demand, and improve our customer connections all contributed to the strong performance in comp transaction growth. In addition to the improved customer experience, we are delivering exciting new beverages that are resonating with customers. 
particularly our cold beverage platform. Starbucks rewards members up to 17.2 million. That's a 14% increase year over year in the U.S., 9.1 million now in China. The company just took that equity stake in Brightloom to license its technology and increase usage at licensed locations globally. Johnson says those digital relationships improve customer retention, increase spend, and increase the frequency of visits. It's important to point out last year in June, Kevin Johnson laid out his strategic plan for growth. The stock fell, but over the past 12 months, it's up nearly 80%. He says the growth at scale initiative Melissa are firing on all cylinders. This report seems to prove it. Back over to you. Kate, how are they competing against Luckin Coffee, Coffee, of course, the recent IPO here at the NASDAQ? So the call's still underway, but yeah. Johnson did say on it that they're looking at uh, smaller format and quicker speed stores to get customers on the go in and out in China. We all know that's kind of Luckin's game. So they've got these big experiential offerings in China. That looks to be one new thing they're just starting to get into there, in addition to all the regular format stores, which we have, of course, here and abroad. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers back at headquarters. Starbucks is at an all-time high in the after-hours session. By the way, Luckin's up 2% in the after-hours session. But this was an extraordinary quarter for It really for was. Starbucks. I mean, you know, the same-store sales numbers were just incredible, both yeah. in China and, in, in, frankly, here. And as big as this is, to have those kind of same-store sales growth, good for them. I do think that digital uh, platform's really working for them. Dan, to you, this is a your kind of thing. Stock's at 96, going to 100. Well, I would have told you. I literally should have. Listen, uh, this thing at 85, you should have known what's going to 100. And I actually had the wrong side of this. And I'll just tell you that they put up a decent quarter last quarter, and the comps were not nearly as good as they are. So the comp growth is accelerating right here, both in North America and both in China. And that was kind of the bear case, that that was going to be decelerating. So you're talking about buying this thing at 30 times next year's earnings, and it's growing, you know. 32 I, times. Yeah, I, I mean, so, so you know, to me, I, I guess it makes sense. I just don't, you know, have at it, Tim. You won't have it. I'll buy yours, and I'll buy guys. Yeah. Because I've been long the stock for five years, and, and the when man. they're growing U.S. comps at seven percent, are you kidding me? I know. It's still their core market. These guys are passing on price increases. It seems like almost but like quarterly. Uh, so if you look at their ability to actually survive in a time when their labor costs are going higher, um, right now this company is bulletproof in my view. I mean, you pay what ten bucks for your. I don't, you know what? It's funny you say that, and you've seen this firsthand. I don't buy myself. You don't, you don't drink coffee. Really. I get other people. I don't buy, and, yeah, but it's you know. crazy the amount of money you can drop. I'll say this: I was in Austin, Texas last week, and there was a Starbucks in the hotel. I got a sausage, egg, and cheese on an egg on a muffin. How'd that go? It was banging. No, it was it was really pretty good. <laughs> I, I digress again. Nice Listen, the, America's comps up seven percent. I mean, the street was at four point three. They mm -hmm. bid there. Emerging markets they beat, and China they beat. It's incredible. The knock will continue to be valuation, valuation, but the market's looking past it. Let's get to MGM. That stock popping after reporting earnings. Contessa Brewers got the details. Contessa. All right, so Melissa, MGM shares climbing. Results in line with expectations on EBITDA. It beat consensus in Las Vegas and in Macau. The property earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization is considered an important metric in gaming. And MGM is tackling some hefty one-time costs here associated with restructuring. Those costs and expenses associated with canceled contracts and swaps and debt dragged down the earnings this quarter. But it means the company's on track to deliver $100 million in lift the second half versus the $70 million it had expected. Jim Murren on expectations for the future here. As we look to the future, we expect to benefit from quite a few tailwinds with improving property earnings, strong Las Vegas macro trends, and MGM 2020 benefiting us in the back half of this year and into next year. Let's drill down here. Sports betting, strong. Convention business, strong. 
leisure business, he says, improving. And this quarter, Las Vegas saw a 12% decline in gaming revenue. The house had some bad luck with table games. There weren't as many gamblers playing Baccarat. We've heard that before. And I've heard, learned that there are fewer Chinese visitors in Las Vegas or in other places around the world, for that matter. Currency costs are a challenge. The macroeconomic picture in China, and we talked about that yesterday with Las Vegas Sands a little bit, ongoing trade tensions. The VIP segment is sluggish there. We heard that from other companies. MGM says it's strong in mass gaming in Macau. Jeffrey's gaming analyst David Katz just told me the expectations were set comfortably low, which set MGM up for a solid quarter. He says, I expect most of the street is still wondering what the activists on the board and that special real estate committee will come back with. Jim Murren addressed that on the call just now. He said the committee is exploring all options, but whatever they are, it has to enhance free cash flow per share. And that report that came out that they would sell Borgata or MGM Grand to a REIT, it's not clear that would enhance free cash flow, guys. All right. Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. So Contessa mentioned Sands. So Sands versus MGM today it seems like two very different stories. Is the takeaway here you don't want to be exposed to a more China-centric play, Tim? It, certainly right now, especially based on what we got yesterday also. And, and I, I'll say this. I think at MGM, part of this story has been real estate monetization that's gotten people all propped up. And I'm not sure that's the right thing to be doing. Uh, but that, to me, is the differentiator between these stocks. It's interesting. So you got win on August 1st. Now you have to play the calculus, right? They're heavy Macau as well. Right. Las Vegas Sands obviously said some bad things, but you want to take a flyer here on win, which is probably higher in the aftermarket. I'll say this, though. MGM, even with the move higher out of the three names we just mentioned, is still the cheapest to the three. So I still think there's upside here in MGM off the back of this quarter, Mel. Win is up by four-tenths of one percent, but it did lose two percent. I'm sure in sympathy with Las Vegas Sands today. All right, coming up, it's back to our tech trifecta, Amazon, Alphabet, Intel, all on the move in the after-hour session. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is all over those earnings calls. He will break down what the tech titans are saying about the quarter when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Alphabet and Intel soaring on earnings. Those moves accounting for more than $75 billion in added market cap. Those conference calls are wrapping up. We've got team coverage. John Ford standing by in Intel, but we start with Josh Lipton, who is covering Alphabet, and who also, by the way, spoke with CFO Ruth Porat. Josh. So, uh, Melissa, I, I caught up with uh, Oppenheimer's Jason Helfstein about the print. Listen, he made really a beeline for net revenues. Obviously, there's concern about this company heading into the print about slowing growth. Points out they actually accelerated. They jumped 21 percent. Another metric uh, he looked for, Google segment adjusted EBITDA. That is a mouthful, obviously. It's simply referring to a metric that tracks the company's core profitability. That was up 16 percent. He does note a lot of hedge funds were short this name. That's explaining some of the pop in the after hours. But when you are having that kind of move, you're allowed to take a victory lap. Here is CFO Ruth Porat on the print. Take a listen. Once again, our results were driven by ongoing strength in mobile search in particular, as well as YouTube and cloud. Our total revenues of $38.9 billion reflect an acceleration in both reported and constant currency revenue growth across all regions compared with the first quarter. 
And Melissa, uh, CEO Sunder Bachai was also on this call and gave some new metrics about cloud business. A strong quarter, and he said Google Cloud reached an annual revenue run rate of over $8 billion. So lifting the curtain here a bit, obviously that's something investors want. They want more disclosures from Google, and you're getting some new metrics there. Um, Google Cloud obviously has that new chief, Thomas Curran. He's always making acquisitions, $3 billion for Looker. Um, and uh, Pichai also mentioning on the cloud, they're going to triple their sales force, he says, over the next few years. So gunning for Amazon and Microsoft's business. I did, as you, as you mentioned, Melissa, at the top, I had a chance to catch up with Ruth Porat. Um, and I did ask her, listen, you are clearly facing more regulatory scrutiny from the DOJ. And there's some folks who think, I asked her, that you really have a primary target on your back, given your dominant position in search. She told me in response that, listen, we are already subject to oversight in a number of areas. This is not new for the company, she told me. And we are engaged with regulators around the globe for quite some time. Back to you, Melissa. Karen's got a question, Josh. Yeah, Josh, did yep. she, did, I, I haven't heard the call, so did they break out or talk at all about Waymo? Uh, she did mention Waymo a bit. I think they said they had, had something like 1,000 um, active riders. Obviously, a big question, Karen, is really, and you know, you've heard our colleague uh, Phil Lebeau talk about this, when are they actually going to branch out between that trial area and the Metro Phoenix area? Is, is 2020 going to be the big year of the 2020 when Waymo really sees this big rollout? Um, but I did not hear her address those specific questions on the call, no. All right, Josh, thanks a lot. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Karen, your thoughts on the conference call so far? Yeah, I mean, she, I, a lot to like. I mean, good for her. She got a lot of uh, feedback mm -hmm. from the last quarter that probably wasn't so great. So, I, I mean, these are really great numbers. When you think about the scale of this business, to have this kind of reacceleration on numbers so big already, it's right. really pretty extraordinary. Yeah, $8 billion in cloud, you know, that, that's extraordinary. You know, we're not even, we haven't really even talked about YouTube. We haven't really talked about uh, some of their agenda in linear TV. At their Google Marketing Live event, they actually outlined, you know, a, I think a very interesting strategy there. Um, we haven't talked about Google Maps. We haven't talked about the products. And I think for, we, we were leaving that stuff for dead, or not YouTube, but I think the, uh, you know, the, the other products was something that I think people had kind of just said, you know what, we know that there's some, some, some optionality in there, but the company's not executing. They're like I'm call punishing options. the company. I think the call options are still very valuable. But in terms of YouTube, I mean, that was a source of, of a question yes. in the last quarter, right? I mean, Morgan Stanley was coming out saying that the that the quarter's shortfall last time was because of un, unprofitable changes at YouTube. And YouTube is also the area that's under scrutiny right now in terms of how quickly videos can be uploaded and yeah. violent videos at that. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, that's one that's obviously going to play out, but that's been a huge, huge growth area for them. I, I just make one point. You know, you guys all got geeked up about that $25 billion. Geeked up. Yeah, geeked legitimately up. geeked up about that $25 billion it's, it's buyback. Nice by the way. And, and, yeah. and you know, there's a couple things, though. What did we say? You know, Josh just mentioned that cloud growth. They talked about ramping up Salesforce there. You know, they bought this company, Looker, which is cloud analytics. You know, to me, this company should go out and buy a, 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 a okay. excuse me, hold on, a Slack. You Whoa, know, pay okay. $25 billion for that. Have Stuart Butterfield run their enterprise mm -hmm. division or something. Those right. are the sorts of things that I'd like to see them do, especially when you think about all the headwinds that they have about online advertising. When you think about that, because they do have a monopoly, I'd be moving really hard into the commercial space right now. Uh, I don't agree. That's a gigantic purchase, and they can afford to do both if they what want. What are you talking to. about? Salesforce just paid seventeen billion dollars for Tableau. You know what I mean? Like, there's it's big deals are happening. Microsoft, when they be, bought, when they bought LinkedIn dilutive. for twenty-six billion dollars a few years ago, talk to people about their integration there with their cloud services and what that's doing for them. These guys need a jolt. They need a jolt, and they need to get going on the commercial stuff because they will be having their core business eroded. We haven't even talked about Amazon's advertising business. I haven't seen the number for. 
the quarter. I want to allow Karen uh, her chance. Yeah, speaking course. of who's geeked up, by the way. Yeah, no, I am nah. geeked up about it because oh. they have plenty of cash. Those, these are not either or thing, right? I, I don't look at this quarter and say, wow, this company really needs to fix itself. Let's go out and buy Slack for a huge amount of money. Right? Yeah, but I, if they had printed mean... the same sort of disappointing revenue growth that they did in the Q1, you'd be saying, yes, they need to fix themselves. They need to do something else because I know okay. a lot of people But they didn't. Say, okay. Okay. I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, I think the, the quarter sort of speaks for itself on the, uh, how the core business is. But here's okay. a company that with this sort of revenue, and like, you know, the stock is Bleeding moving around 8%. Now. What's that? We got places we got to place go. A, I mean, Jim's got a show in like you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> I think it started already. Is it a Maybe. chat show? We're chatting. <laughs> We're chatting. Good, well, good I want to chat about Intel because that stock's soaring in the after hours session. John Ford has been patiently waiting for us. He's been in on that conference call. John, what's the latest? Yeah, Melissa, interesting. A, a lot of factors that could have caused problems for Intel in this quarter that did not trade was one of them. Listen to Bob Swan on that. Tariff and trade uncertainties created anxiety across our customers' supply chains and drove a pull-in of client CPU orders into the second quarter. We also halted shipments to certain customers in response to the U.S. government's revised entity list. After a thorough review, we were able to resume shipments of some products in compliance with regulations, and the net impact on the second quarter was limited. While we hope and expect trade issues to be resolved, further tightening of export restrictions would come with revenue risks to our business. So some pull-in, that's good, right? Particularly for PCs, but still potential clouds on the horizon if there are further problems in trade. Also pointing out that government buying has been weak, uh, partly due to a difficult comp, but partly just due to uncertainty over things like trade. Bob Swad pointing out China in particular there, but also saying that cloud buying, which had been weaker in the first half as mega scale providers like your Microsoft and Amazon's digest what they bought last year, expects that to pick up in the second half. So that's part of why they can raise their full year guide the way they did, guys. All right, John, thanks. John Fort on the Intel conference call. Guy. I think it sets up to trade back to the April high, which if memory serves, was somewhere around 58 and a half before it cratered down to 45 so you can still make a case on valuation and not that I want to get off Intel but quickly just to add one more log to this. Are you going to go back to that? Why not? You know the president is geeked up about you mentioned geeked up he, about he's the stock so, market. Something up. You know somebody's <laughs> in his ear saying hey by the way uh, Mr. Pre Mr. President Alphabet's up 10 percent. Don't you think now that's going to put the crosshairs right back on them? You know, they're taking advantage of our great economy. They have to pay their fair share. Maybe we should be taking a hard look at them. So they might be a, they might be a victim of the success of this quarter, and it may come at the hands of the administration. Interesting theory. Whoa. Up next, Twitter has been a high flyer this year. One options traders betting that the stock will return to its 2015 highs. We'll explain. And we are all over Amazon. That stock is in the red in the after hours. That conference call gets underway. We'll break down the big headlines when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Twitter, the last of the social stocks to report earnings this week. And one options trader is betting that tomorrow's report could propel the stock to multi-year highs. Let's get to Dan over at the Plasma with the options action. Hey, Dan. Yeah, so call volume ran pretty hot today in Twitter. Again, they report tomorrow before the opening. Um, the implied move in the options market is about 10%, but call volume was about two times that of puts. You know, on average, this stock over the last four quarters has been very volatile. Two moves up, two moves down, averaging about 15%. And since the life of this thing, since they went 
went public in 2013. The stock has moved about 12.5% the day after earnings. So obviously a pretty volatile stock here. I'll just make this point. You know, like when you think about what Facebook put up, what Google just put up, what Snapchat put up this week, it's, I'm hard-pressed to see that the advertising that is going to these platforms is not going to be exhibited in Twitter's results tomorrow. But the trade that were, you know, really caught my eye today when the stock was trading at 38.43, a trader looked out to March 2020 expiration and bought the March 30.50 risk reversal, paying 35 cents for that. That trade breaks even up at 50.35 on March expiration. Worst case scenario, the stock's down 20% at 30. The trader is put the stock down there. I like the risk reversal. I know it's a strategy that Karen Feinerman likes to use on options action every once in a while. Um, but this one looks like a takeout trade here to me, or at least getting leveraged to an existing long position. All right, thanks for that, Dan. For more options action, tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, and check out the Kramer cam now, and we'll see Jim talking with the CEO of Align Technology. If you saw Fast Money last night, you know that stock got its teeth kicked in. No, you didn't say that. After reporting results, be sure to catch the full interview. <laughs> Top of the hour. Good. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Amazon, the retail giant climbing back as the call gets underway. Let's get to Deidre Bozer with the latest on the call. Deidre. Melissa, put simply, Amazon is spending more and earning less, but this is Amazon, so really it's a return to the old ways of growth over profit. One day shipping costing more than the company initially estimated. It does create a shock to the, to the uh, system. Uh, we're working through that now, and we expect uh, we'll be working through that for a number of quarters. Um, but when the dust settles, we will uh, you know, regain our, our cost efficiency over time. He added that the response to one-day shipping has been positive and volume has picked up. Also on the positive side, we did see top-line revenue growth pick up to that 20% year-over-year level. Some headwinds, though, slowing growth in cloud computing. It's facing more competition from Microsoft and Google. Remember, key is that race with Microsoft for that $10 billion government Jedi cloud contract. Advertising business continues to grow at a healthy click. eMarketer expects Amazon to have nearly 9% of the U.S. digital ad market by the end of this year. So edging in on that Google-Facebook duopoly. On the regulatory front, guys, no surprise here. Olsowski, the CFO, saying that they have a longstanding policy of not commenting on regulatory matters. However, when pressed during the media call, he did say that Amazon's guidance does not include any particular penalty or impact from regulations. And so far on the analyst call, no questions on regulatory pressures. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa for more reaction to Amazon earnings. Let's bring back Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. So, Gene, um, thoughts so far on the call? Yeah, I think that captures it pretty well is that the unit growth stepped up from 10% in the March quarter to 18%. That was impressive. That's the best unit growth they've had since March of 2018. I uh, think that that is, is probably the reason why, despite these comments about them continuing to spend, that the stock hasn't traded off. I, I do believe that this uh, spending cycle, there needs to be some uh, light at the end of the tunnel. And the reason is that ultimately, you do need to grow into your multiple. In this case, Amazon's multiple is call it just over 50 times next year's earnings. 
And the, on the call, the CFO is talking about going into spending for the next several quarters for this one-day shipping. And the stock actually traded up on that, which tells you that uh, I'm somewhat tone-deaf to be talking about valuation here. But that's another big takeaway here is we're entering buckle up because we're entering another uh, investment cycle for Amazon. Yeah, it looks like we might go positive in the after hours on Amazon. What's your grade for the quarter, Gene? B minus, uh, good return to revenue growth, but still, uh, B minus. I, I think okay. that the, this uh, theme around earnings, you got to show some earnings at some point. All right, Gene, great to see you. Thanks so much for your analysis Thank tonight. You. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. It's like Deidre got into our head. We were just having a conversation about Amazon doing what Amazon does. Spending a lot of money for growth, and that's exactly what it did in this case for one-day yeah, shipping. I don't, they don't, I don't think they're really focused on quarter to quarter. They make, they miss. I don't think they're really that focused. And quite frankly, they probably shouldn't be. The thing I take you know away. What they're focused on? on putting people on out of business. Put, well, I mean, that's another conversation. But I tell you what. You talk about a company that a couple of years ago were talking about operating margins less than 1%. Guess what? With the mix now, with cloud, everything, they're up to 8.6% operating margins. That's a really good number. The question comes down to this. Do you want to bet against? You want to bet against those now in place double tops and take a shot here, or do you want to let itself play out? I say let it play out for a couple of days and see where it sifts. So, down are you to. saying is the implication that they're investing and that makes them more of a target because what they're investing in ultimately makes them the dominant player? Yes, and that was said a little tongue in cheek. Yeah. My, my point is that if they are investing and in, 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 indifferent um, on profitability for the sake of actually. You know, squashing other businesses. That's one of the definitions. And, and if you think about what also uh, the conversation that for the next four or five quarters actually shipping could be an issue, but we'll get back to efficiency also implies to me they may really be investing in, in shipping. I mean, we may get back to this whole thing where FedEx is concerned um, and a bunch of other players about them basically becoming independent as a shipper. Yeah. I don't think being overly competitive is something that should get the antennas up of the government. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know we're on the same team with this. No, I'm, not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm just telling you that I do believe the, the antitrust conversation Understood. for Amazon uh, has more merit to me than almost all the other guys when you consider small businesses that are fighting against Yeah, I, I would just say this about expenses. It's really interesting. What did we see? We saw Tesla down 13% today. People did right. not like to see that they're cutting their capex, right? If this is a growth company, you want them oh, to well, continue. they've been doing to, that for a I know, but what, what I'm saying is... part of that story was, you know... I, I guess my point is the, the stock market, public investors have afforded Amazon the ability to do this, to not show, you know, big profit margins and keep investing. So I don't really know what's going to change that at this stage of the game now that it's back at its prior all-time highs or just near it. It's very interesting price action shares of Amazon after hours. We're down just fractionally right now. What do you think happens tomorrow as, I, as people uh, digest listen, this Listen, you know, I don't know if it's some function of some of these other names trading much higher. Maybe Google, maybe Amazon's catching some of the tailwinds there. I don't know. I'll say it again, and I can prove and be wrong. I still think this thing trades poorly over the next couple days. We'll revisit it mid-next week and see where it shakes out. Up next, final trades. Take a look at the big tech names in the after-hour session. Amazon is down by almost a percent here. Mixed quarter, some disappointments on the growth uh, in revenues for AWS. Alphabet, meantime, and Intel blowout quarters across the board. We're seeing some big gains there. Alphabet up 9%, Intel up 5.25%. Important names to watch in tomorrow's session. Final trade time, Tim. Yes, so I will buy Intel, and I think this is a major change in sentiment. I think they finally have the capacity to meet demand. I actually think the 10 nanometer is important. And I think AMD is not crushing them like everybody thinks. Chairwoman. Yes, this one's for a trade. We talked, I mean, Starbucks, those were just tremendous earnings. We talk about the gravitational pull towards 100. I think that's the next stop. 
Starbucks. Dan? Yeah, so Twitter just following up on the OA hit here. I think this one's been range bound. I think you buy it uh, towards the mid 30s. I think you see a breakout later in the year. Key. Tremendous show this evening, Melissa. Well done. I think Nordstrom's has just gotten to the point of absurdity. JWA. How so? All right, that does the rest. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Bad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.